Nine. So there's nine disciples. He comes to the rest of the disciples and a great multitude around them. And scribes or religious leaders are disputing with the disciples, having an argument. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and ran to him and greeted him. And he asked the scribes or the religious leaders, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples and they could, that they should cast this demon out, but they could not. Verse 19, and he answered them and said, O faithless generation, or another word in NIV says, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you and bring, bring him to me? Bring the boy to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and foamed at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? There's a lot of hymns in there, isn't there? <laughs> him, him, him. And he said, and that's significant. And he said, from childhood. And often he was thrown in both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. And if you can do anything, if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This is the father speaking. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears. I mean, this is a desperate dad. He said with tears, Lord, I believe. What? Help my unbelief. What a wonderful sincerity. What a reality. I, I think that had to be my story sometimes. Lord, I believe, but would you just kind of help my unbelief in the midst of that? I think that's very real. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Death and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of the young boy, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He's dead. That's a great confession. Jesus delivered him and said, He's dead. You've killed him. Can you imagine if you, know, you pray for someone, they go down, they say, oh, You've killed him. But that wasn't the case, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And he arose. And when he'd come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, what, why could we not cast it out? And so he said to them, this kind can come out by, by nothing but prayer and fasting. Okay, the title of my message is The Unanswered Prayer. <laughs> we, can, we can all have times in life and questions in life sometimes when our best effort of prayer or maybe our request of God didn't come off as we had hoped. Uh, we prayed and worked hard to convince God uh, that the situation was worth a miracle, but it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. And our cry for help seemed to fall, sometimes we think anyway, on deaf ears. And, and in fact, maybe, maybe for some of us today, we kind of don't pray as much or ask as much as because we've just found ourselves to be got disappointed in the past. That maybe that our prayer wasn't answered like we thought it should be answered and it didn't happen like we should, thought. That situation didn't turn around. That circumstance didn't, didn't become better. It, in actual fact, in some ways, it become worse. And so we become disappointed and we've neglected sometimes to uplift things to God anymore. And so I want to look at this situation this morning and answer for us. And because there's an answer for in our unanswered prayer today, I believe, and it's contained here. 
within this passage. And it's not something you can just put in a box and say, oh, there's the formula. No, I'm not saying that. But there is a principle, a way of life and of believing that I believe Jesus emphasizes and shows us in this passage. Because in this passage, there are two groups of people with unanswered requests. There's the boy and his father who are asking the nine disciples um, to free his son from the bondage of a demon. And then there's the disciples themselves who are asked to pray and find themselves probably a little bit disillusioned because they prayed and the boy wasn't healed. And now not only are they um, feeling a little bit vulnerable because he wasn't healed, but now the religious leaders um, are kind of disputing with them and they find themselves having to defend themselves against um, what the, these religious leaders are saying and also probably defending Jesus because they know that these disciples are Jesus' disciples. And so we see two disillusioned, disillusioned groups of people possibly, the boy and his father who haven't got the answers and the disciples who are supposed to have the answers but haven't got the answers. So I don't know, you may put yourself in one of those categories this morning. I want to say that I haven't got the answers, but I'm glad that we serve a God who does. Okay? Um, and Jesus rides into town. He's a bit like that, you know, he's, the, um, he's like the old western movies, the goody, the good guy rides into town on a white horse with a white hat. And he sorts it all out. Praise God for Jesus. I can all I can say, praise. He comes into the situation and uh, he turns up with his three deputies, Peter, James, and John, and they've been on the mountain. They've been having a retreat, they're having a great time, but then as they have to, they come down to the, the plain or the valley and they're in, they kind of reality slaps them and they've got a job to do. So Jesus says, first of all, what are you guys arguing about? And so the, the crowd is there. You can, and um, he says, what are you guys disputing about? And one steps out of the crowd. It's actually, it just says in Scripture, it's, the, it's a man steps out of the crowd and says, I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. And, you know, this is what happens. It's interesting to note at this point that the, the man who stepped out of the crowd, of course, was the father of the boy who uh, had a demon or was and the disciples couldn't deliver. But in verse 17, Mark, who wrote this, Mark's gospel, it identifies him as just one of the crowd. But it's interesting how quickly things change because in a matter of verses, he goes from being one of just the crowd to becoming the father in verse 30 and 24 because now the, father had to, now the father had to step up and say, well, what do I really believe here? Am I just going to remain one of the crowd and kind of stand and watch while they try to deliver my son, or will I step out? And he stepped out, and, he's, and of course, he asked Jesus, if you can do anything, just heal my son. He steps out of the crowd, and his, his, his belief or his faith had to rise some levels, didn't it? He had, to, he had to lift something in his life. He had to see beyond just the, maybe what the crowd mentality was. And Jesus was very aware of the crowd mentality because often the crowd was just a spectator crowd. They were, they were impressed by the miracles. And often they'd run here and run here and run there just to see Jesus perform a miracle. But, you know, they had no real regard sometimes for belief or faith or for healing. They just wanted to see the spectacular. And I suppose um, Jesus understood this and he was aware of the crowd. And uh, we see, uh, of course, in, in verse 25... 
uh, what happens is Jesus, it says in that verse, it says the crowd started to run to Jesus. And so quickly we see Jesus deals with the boy and heals him and delivers him of the demon. Now, why did Jesus do that? And why does Scripture say when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, and he said, I command you to come out, and the boy was healed. Why did Jesus do it before the crowd got to him? Because he knows that the voice of the crowd sometimes in our ear will always be the negative, or the voice of the crowd will always bring sometimes, not belief, but just bring nothing to the table. And, you know, did Jesus think that he would struggle if the crowd turned up with their unbelief and their crowd mentality of, oh, is it possible? No, it wasn't Jesus who was going to struggle with unbelief. It was possibly the father who he didn't want to interfere with and, and the father who probably couldn't be affected because he had been part of the crowd. Now Jesus is lifting him to a new level of faith and belief. He didn't want him to go back into the crowd and have that mentality. And so he quickly heals the boy before the crowd gets there. And I want to say this, Matthew, in Matthew's Gospel... Jesus understood sometimes what the crowd was like. Matthew 13, 58. Jesus was in, went back to the district of Nazareth where he grew up from a little boy and he was in his dad's carpenter shop for 30 years before he stepped out into public ministry. And he says in 58, it says, Matthew says, Jesus couldn't do no great miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. So, so Jesus understood sometimes that as much as it was great for the crowd to see the miracles, he understood sometimes that the crowd came with the negative voices. And I want to just encourage you and start to realize you've got to stop listening sometime to the crowds of voices that want to be in your head. Oh, this will never happen. It's never happened before. How could it ever happen now? You know, uh, this will always be a problem. This will always be my lot in life. Why can't you allow? See, we live in the world and it wants to affect us. But, you know, we've got to step outside of that and let faith rise. And I want to share with you how we could do that. But to let belief rise in our hearts and to, go, and to not be part of the crowd, but to step out and believe and listen to one voice. And that one voice is the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit wants to speak into your heart. And he can and will do that. And he wants to lift your faith, lift your belief as he did with his father. See, I love, why did I talk about, why did I read the, the, the story about the mountain when Jesus is up on the mountain before? Why, is the, why are these two, these two instances connected? Because if you could appreciate this, Jesus has gone to a mountain with Peter, James, and John. And what happens is, is that we see Jesus, Moses and Elijah came down and start to talk to Jesus. And as they're talking, um, See, Moses represents the law. Do you know what the law is? All those things in the Old Testament, this is how you should live. And, and the law is good. The Ten Commandments and all the little things that you need to do. If you read the book of Leviticus, this is how you should act. This is how you should speak. This is how you should look after yourself. I mean, it's all written there. And they were good principles to live life by. So Moses represents the law. Elijah, in this instance, in this mountain scene, he represents the prophets. And he was the one who spoke the law. He told us what to do. The prophets always spoke what was to be, you should do. They were always the voice. Moses gave us the law from God. Uh, Elijah, the prophet, spoke the law. Now, here's the point. As you consider that scene, now God comes into the scene and he says, 
And, and Peter's getting really excited. Let's build a little tent for everybody. Let's have a camping. Let's have a bond, little fire. We'll cook some sausages. We'll have a great time. Elijah, Moses, Jesus, us three. Let's, have a, let's just have a boys moment together, you know, have a great time together. And God comes into the scene in a cloud and speaks it audibly. And he says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him only. And when the cloud goes, all that's left is Jesus. I want to say... We need, the Old Testament is there for a purpose because it gave us principles to live by. But in the Old Testament way, the people needed those principles. They would, because they, there were rules and laws and how we should live a life. And, in, and that was the best way that God and the people had relationship. You know, if their sin needed to be forgiven, the law said, take up animal to the priest. He'll sacrifice it. it you know, blah, blah, blah. He'll do A, B, C, D, E, and F. And you'll be forgiven for another year, and you know uh, you'll be forgiven of your sin, and, and then you'll and then you can come back the next year and do it all again. You know, let's keep. So there was principles to live life by. They're good principles, but that was, you know, the people had to work hard to do that. There was a, there was a works mentality. As long as I do A B C, God will accept me, and I'll have God's favor. Now, when Jesus comes, he doesn't do away with the law. We still need to live by good, godly, moral principles, but we don't. Have to, we don't have to live by them um, just to please God. The way we can please God is living in relationship with Him. And, and, and it's now coming and hearing His voice and His voice only and what He's speaking and what He says through His Word to our hearts because we can get awfully caught up with the work and I've got to work harder. I've just got to pray longer. And if I do that, God will answer my prayer. No, no, no. Let's go on. It's really important. See, in this story, and see, we've got to see that the law and the prophets, um, the law and the, you know, Moses gave us the law. The prophets, well, you know, were the ones who spoke the law. But in the end, God said, I want you to hear Jesus because he encapsulates both in with himself, but with this incredible grace that he brings. So after the father had told Jesus what had happened, let's go back to the story. And what the disciples failed to do, the conversation gets pretty interesting because this is what we like sometimes. We can be like this dad. Jesus, if you could just help me in my son, if you could just you know, sort it out, if you could just show me the next step, if you could just answer my prayer. And the man actually says, if you, if you could do anything, help us. And don't we like that? If you could, if you, Jesus, if you, could just, if you could just do this for me, I'll just lay it out really clearly. Bob, do all this for me. We can sometimes treat God as the, um, as the um, answer, answer machine. No, just give me answers. Give me answers. So Jesus' response to the Father was a big if back. The Father said, if you could do anything, help us. And he says, if, if I can, how about if you can? How about you believe? How about you believe, he says, if you can believe. So right there, Jesus identifies the problem. See, Jesus is saying, here's the problem. It's not just a demon in this boy. That's a problem. I understand it's a problem. But he says, but a couple of verses earlier, Jesus says the problem of the boy not being delivered is not just because it's a big demon. It's because of a belief issue. Because a couple of verses earlier, he says, you unbelieving generation. Unbelieving. It's a belief issue. So the problem here was not that the demon was too big, but it was what they believed that was the problem. Jesus sorts out the issue. The boy is set free. And when all the crowd is dispersed 
And it's just the disciples and Jesus. The disciples asked Jesus a private question. How come we couldn't cast this demon out? Have you ever asked Jesus a question like that? How come when I prayed, I didn't get the answer? How come when I'm praying for that job, I didn't get the job? I don't know. There's a myriad of questions. How come the circumstances didn't get better when I prayed? And Jesus replies, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Here is the interesting thing that, thing that I want to emphasize, and I've just kind of intimated slightly already. It can be misinterpreted in this passage because this is what he's saying. We can think he's saying this kind of demon, which is a really big demon compared to the little demons. I don't know if there's big and little, who knows. But we can think, well, this kind of demon is so big and so ugly that there's only one way to deal with it, and that is we need to pray harder, fast longer, yell, maybe get a little bit louder, just try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder, and until this, until this demon is delivered. I want to tell you that's not the way. Is it that we shouldn't pray and fast? No. But you need to realize why you pray and fast. It's not a work. You can't, you can't convince God to answer your prayer by our actions. See, Jesus, Jesus he's, was saying, he's already identified what the problem is. It's a belief problem. So the trouble is we can shift the problem from a belief issue to a demon problem, and, if we, and it is a demon problem, but if we do that, and only have, we only, if we do that, we only have to try harder, and, and we can maybe go longer and fast longer. You know, I, I, there's a, there was a couple of people I knew that, that they had a situation in their family, and, and the husband nearly starved himself to death, uh, quite literally, in this day and age, because he thought, if I do that, I'll appease God, and he'll, he'll be able to see I'm really sincere and innocent, and I'm really desperate. God knows you, it's not what you do, it's what's in your heart that he sees you're desperate. See, all the problems are overcome by how hard we work in prayer? No. Or how hard we try to be a better Christian? Because, because if we're a better Christian, then God would answer all our prayers, shouldn't he? Well, of course we need to be who God wants us to be and obedient to him. But why is it so important to understand this principle that it's not working harder, it's working understanding why you pray fast, why we need to do those things? Because it completely changes your approach to prayer and fasting if you understand your approach and your relationship with God. If you could understand this, when we go to a time of prayer and fasting, it's not try harder, it's so we can deal with the big problems of life. Prayer is about jumping on board with Jesus to get a new belief in what he's already able to do. It's, already, it's, it's engaging with him in relationship. Prayer is not about forcing an answer from God to what we want. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of his willingness. See, prayer is, that is our relationship with God. is not about changing God's mind so that he gives us what we want, our answers. It's about dealing with our own belief and trust in God. It's, about his, it's actually about getting on board of Jesus and building belief that what he can do is what he can do. And it's about coming to new trust levels in him. And that's what Jesus said. He said, if you can believe, Dad, nothing's impossible to him who believes. Okay? What does that do for our prayer time and relationship with God? It changes the emphasis from God, change this situation and give me answers to God, change me. You're not giving me answers. And then, you know, and God says, hey, 
because I want to change you, not give you answers. I want to give you answers, but it comes in the change within your life. And then we stop becoming a Christians who just call out to God when we have a need, and we actually start to live in a relationship with God on a daily basis. So that we know and trust him. See, how come Jesus didn't go to season of prayer and fasting to deliver this young man from this demon spirit? Because he already had a belief. Jesus didn't have to go to prayer. He'd already been there. He already had a relationship with his heavenly father. He, he knew what to do because he had a belief in a relationship and a love. See, prayer and fasting now becomes less about me getting answers and more about hearing his voice. It's more about becoming like him. And when I get into his presence, I start to become clearer in my thinking. I start to see what he can do and what he said. And that's why the Mount Transfiguration is so important because we've got to understand on the mountain, um, God said, listen to my son Jesus and stop being so, see the law and the prophets, they, the truth is, they're important, <laughs> they're there, but they, their emphasis is on what did you do to appease, appease God, where a relationship with Jesus and prayer and fasting with Jesus is who do you, uh, what can I make you to be, and, and your relationship and becoming, it's, and, and once again, it's whose you are, not who you are. And prayer and fasting is not about working harder to make God answer you, but about drawing closer so you become more like Christ and have a belief rising in your heart. We all say, I want to be more like Jesus. Well, I do. I want to be more like Christ. What? So I can walk around so I'm like, Jesus. no, no, so we can live in relationship with him and, and in prayer and even in fasting, we'll hear his voice clearer, know his heart more dearer, know him See, I notice in verse 20 of this passage of Scripture, I mentioned there's a lot of hymns. There is. It says, when they brought him to him. Mark, Mark could have done us a little bit better here. <laughs> him to him. What's that? It's talking about when they brought the boy, him, the boy, him, to him, Jesus. And then it says, and, and when he saw him. And you know, I've read that passage and just quickly gone over it so many times and never thought about what was being said here. But... When they brought the boy, him, to Jesus, him, Jesus, and then it says, and when he saw him, and I've always assumed that when uh, Jesus saw the boy, then the boy manifests and Jesus dealt with the problem. But it doesn't say that. It says, when they brought the boy, him, to Jesus, him, and then it says, when the boy saw Jesus, not Jesus saw him. It's when the boy saw So when the demon saw Jesus, the demon manifest and Jesus dealt with it. I want to just help you to understand something. Um, you've got to understand that when the demon reacted and immediately the thing happened, unfolded. You see, the prayer and fasting is not about getting more answers for your prayers, but it's about becoming more like Christ. And when the problem sees the presence of Jesus in you through the Holy Spirit, it will have to bow to the Jesus in you. It'll see, see, don't you see? It'll, it'll see Jesus in you. And that's what it's got to bow to. It, demons won't bow to just me, James Hewitt, in the flesh. It'll bow to the Christ within me. So when the problem is, is a problem, it'll bow, the more of Christ, the more the problem's got to bow to that Christ in you. See, it's in you, it's in him we live and move and have our being. It's in him, it's him in us. And see, we see the boy, 
or the demons saw Jesus and straight away reacted because it couldn't, it had to, it had to bow to the authority and the, and the incredible ability of our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because, because when there is more of Christ in you, there's a rising tide of belief in you. And, and then healing, He can sort the problems. And prayer and fasting is not an exercise of just asking, but of receiving more of Him and trusting that Jesus has got it covered. When more of Him in us. Now, I know this hasn't been the most exciting message so far, but you know, the reality of the principle is powerful. In 1991, um, many of you heard the story, but I continually come back to it because I learned so much through this particular incident that happened in me and Michelle and my wife's life. And it was our first child. You know the story, I won't go into detail, but basically, a gynecologist told us first child, four months pregnant, um, this child is. Are going to be severely physically and mentally handicapped. They, you know, they gave us a very small percentage that it would be normal. But um, so we left and prayed. We left that gynecologist, didn't go back to him actually, and not because we upset with him. Um, we were just trying to work this thing through because he told us you could have bought the baby, and we thought that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to abort this child. It's our first child. So um, in 1991, we went home and we kind of cried out to God. Because we had now had another uh, five months to think this through. Do you understand? It's only, Michelle's only four months pregnant. Five months to think this through. Five months to pray and fast about it and just commit it to God. And I now, in hindsight, I realized what God was doing. Because I realized in our prayer and fasting, we ask God, God, certainly we ask God, let this baby be normal. We wouldn't be sensible parents if we didn't. Let this baby be, you know, just beautiful and healthy and whole and and God we're not going to abort the child and we're not going to have any of those nasty tests that find out whether you know um, whether it is right or not we're just going to believe you and we didn't quite understand what we were probably praying but in some ways I think for a season there I was just working harder to make Jesus convince Jesus I'm worthy of the miracle and my wife's worthy of the miracle we're good people what a good what a bad things happen to good people well, maybe God's just trying to get your attention to raise your level of belief and fall in love with him afresh. But over five months, you know, I think I shifted from just working hard in prayer to just trusting him. And I built this relationship with Christ that it, it, it has, to this day has stood in such good stead in my heart. I learned something through that. And it's only in hindsight that I now look back at that moment and realize what he was building in me this, is this, hey, how much do you trust me? How much? You, and in prayer and in those times of fasting, I, just, I found I had more of Christ, not more of my own way. Because if we come to God wanting more of our own way, we may get disappointed. But if we come to Christ wanting more of Christ in us, we will never be disappointed. And it, when the baby was born, the truth is we'd come to the point then after five months of, of coming to this point of saying, you know what, God? Whatever. Whether the baby's normal or the baby's not normal, so to speak, what's normal anyway, but whether the baby's healthy and whole or not healthy, you know what? We're going to trust you. And that's a, that is an incredible, peaceful place to come to. Whether you answer the prayer or not, God, you know, the way we want it, I believe you're going to answer the prayer 
and that we can trust you. And we got to that point. And so when the baby was born, I'd even forgotten. Isn't it? In that moment of euphoria and joy, and that little girl, she was a little girl, came out. We named her Gabriel. Some of you know her. And she came out and, you know, out. You know what I mean. Um, and so we, I, I'd have forgotten about the reality of what a gynecologist had said to me five months earlier. You could have bought this. I'd forgotten about the problem. And I, to be honest, I was just kind of, I'd forgotten, and it wasn't until afterwards I thought, oh, that's right, this beautiful little whole healthy normal little child was supposed to be intellectually, physically handicapped. Hmm, can't see any sign of that. Oh, well, thanks, God. Now, it mightn't have happened that way. And I still needed to say, God, I think you got it. I'm going to trust you. Because it's often that God will not... uh, God won't take you out, take you from going into the fire. He'll actually bring you through in the fire. You know? He won't, take, he won't stop you from going into the lion's den. He'll just bring you through in the lion's den, you know. Build something in your life. <laughs> so let me say this to finish. What do I, why do I need to have this understanding? Why do I need to have this understanding? Here's, it's just three simple little thoughts real quick. Number one, I want to be able to know that God's got my back. See, if all I am ever, ever going to do is trust God when everything goes really perfect and well for me, maybe when something doesn't go so well, I'll just leave God alone. And I'll become that kind of Christian that says, well, God, when everything's bright and rosy, you're my man. But if it's not happened bright and rosy, I'm out of here and you can find someone else. If God, God wants you... Uh, to, to realize he's got your back. Now, whether you get the answer you want or the answer doesn't come that you want. He's got your back. He still cares. And if we learn to live with Jesus, we stop being Christian. You just dials into God when we need something, but we know him and not just know about him. So stop just dialing into God when there's a problem and want to dial into God every day. Learn to build relationship. See, I've, I've been in the place, um, you know, when you're in that place of intimacy, worship, whatever it is, healing can come, health can come. It can't, you know, this morning we prayed for people, you know, just for healing. And it comes out of worship, it comes out of intimacy. Certainly we ask God. Certainly we want to see things happen. Certainly it would be stupid if we stood here and, and said, well, I, I, you know, I, no, I don't want to have my heart sorted out. I want it to be really, you know, no, no, of course we do. But it doesn't come out of, of just demanding or saying, God, am I good enough to convince you that I'm worthy of a miracle? No, you're just good enough if you just come and just spend time in his presence. You can't be any better. He loves you the way you are. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't mean he doesn't want us to change. Oh, there's some filthy habits about our lives. We've got to change. But we've got to make the decision. And, we've got, and that comes out of relationship, not out of duty. Oh, I won't ever please God until I change. No, he loves you right now. He just doesn't want you to stay the same. <laughs> so, uh, this, so the first thing is we need to understand God's got our back all the time, whether we get the answers we want or not. Second is we, we, he, wants to, he, he wants to reveal his will to us. Romans 12, 2 it says, be, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can the team just come? That would be great. Can you listen to me without being distracted by them? Is that okay? Yeah, I think you can. Be not conformed to the soil, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you be able to know the perfect and good will of God. Can you see what it's saying? It's saying 
in your mind, this grey matter, start to think on what is good and worthy of praise and truth and renew your mind so that he can reveal his will and direction for your life. It starts here in our thinking, in our mind. It, it, and, it, and today, may your thought be this, that I don't have to work harder to please God or to get my answers. I just need to realize to lift my levels of just belief in him and trust in him. And as I do, the answers will come, whether I like them or not, but he, he'll, it's renewing my mind. It's trusting. See, God said to the Father, he says, the Father said, sorry, to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. What a wonderfully truthful statement. And I think that's a great way to come to God. God, I believe, but would you just strengthen that? Would you allow the tide of belief to rise in my life? And it comes as I renew my mind. Don't flow with the crowd. Don't go with what the negative bombardment of voices, but hear the truth. Here's a, here's, so the first thing was realize God's got your back all the time. Realize he wants, you to, he wants to reveal his will to you. And it's revealed as you renew this part of your body. Renew your mind. His will is revealed. His direction. How can I ever hear God when it's so clonked up with rubbish, clogged with rubbish, clogged up with, you know, whatever. Too much of this or too much rubbish in our lives. We've got to get our mind a bit clearer, don't we? got to just let our mind think on those things that are good and worthy of praise. And, and the last thing quickly is it's a new seeing. We've got to see in you. See, prayer and relationship with, with him is more about renewing our minds and not trying to change, change his mind, but allowing his, his to change us. And our thinking and our thoughts to come in line with his. And when we realize that we need to get on his side, we'll see things with a new perspective. We'll see it differently and we'll start to allow the tide of faith and belief to rise in our lives. And so when we come and ask God, God, would you, I, I just need your miracle. I just, you know, God's listening and we can trust him in that. And you mightn't get the answers you want, but you will get an answer and you can trust that God's got it. And I think that's a great peaceful place to be at peace with your life, you know, at peace with your whole, peace with how you look, peace with how you are, peace with who you're married to, peace with who your children are, peace with who your parents are, peace with the job you've got at the moment. I'm not saying maybe things don't have to change. Peace, just peace. And always looking for the pot of gold on the, at the end of the rainbow. Folks, Someone said to me, oh, I'm just waiting for the big moment, that big opportunity, that big break in life. Today is the biggest break you've got right now. Today is the biggest opportunity right now. And if you look at life, life right now, there's something you need to be thankful for. Right now, God's got you. If we yield to him and just say, God, I'm yours, I surrender to you. So how about we stand this morning? And for a moment, we're going to sing a song in a moment. We're going to just worship one more time, and we're just going to engage with God. That's what singing allows us to do, to engage with our Heavenly Father. It's not the only way. Do you realize worship is more than a song on a Sunday morning? Worship is a lifestyle Monday through to Saturday. Worship is when you pick up the Bible and you read it. 
and you start, oh God, that's for me. Thank you, God. Oh, God. Worship is when you have a chat or when you, have, you maybe miss a meal and just fast because you just want to pray over that lunchtime and just say, God, I just want to draw closer to you. That's what worship is. Worship is drawing near. It's more than just an action. It's a heart mentality, heart attitude. So today, may that be your testimony. May something of a revelation of that truth drop in your heart today for every person here that Jesus waits. He stands at the door and knock. You've got to open the door, and uh, he's there as we come into a relationship. So we're just going to let's sing it uh, as we worship, this, worship God through this song this morning before we just close. Is that cool? Thanks, team.